Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the Albany Update. One would think that before a minor undergoes a medical procedure, that the child's parents should have to consent to the procedure or at least be notified. However, state Democrats on the Senate Women's Issues Committee rejected a bill that would have required at least one parent be notified before their daughter receives an abortion. Then, looking to the courts, a new lawsuit has been filed in California that challenges the constitutionality of assisted suicide. And on the federal level, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act. Also, the House is beginning to turn toward appropriations or spending conversations. As members head into negotiations, our organization is encouraging every member of New York's congressional delegation to remember that federal tax dollars should not be used to fund abortions. Let's get started. On April 25th, the New York State Senate Women's Issues Committee considered legislation known as the Parental Notification Act. While Senator Alexis Wyke, a Republican from Sayville, made a motion to report the bill and refer it to the Senate Codes Committee for further consideration, no one seconded that motion. As a result, this pro-life legislation was not approved by the committee and will not receive further Senate consideration this year. Current New York law does not provide any mechanism for parental notification or consent when an abortion is performed upon a minor. In other words, an 11-year-old could undergo an abortion in New York and her parents could be left completely in the dark. The Parental Notification Act would require that a parent be notified at least 48 hours before an abortion is performed upon a non-empancipated minor. The legislation would provide exceptions in medical emergencies in situations where a custodial parent certifies that he or she has received the required notification, and in cases where a minor seeking an abortion has obtained a court order waiving the notice requirement. The bill memo notes that parents are required by law to give permission when their minor child has a tooth drilled or bone x-rayed, but they do not even have to be notified when their daughter is pregnant and considering the invasive surgery of abortion. Surely parents have a right to know of a medical decision that could affect their daughter physically and emotionally for the rest of her life. The bill memo also asserts that in Minnesota, a significant decrease in teen pregnancies occurred following the passage of a similar law. Given the large pro-abortion majority in the New York State Senate, the Women's Issues Committee was not expected to advance the Parental Notification Act. Nevertheless, the committee's action is disappointing. Pro-choice and pro-life policymakers ought to be able to agree that parents must be involved in decisions regarding their children's health care. The fact that the New York State Legislature cannot reach common ground on this issue only underscores the extremism of the Legislature's commitment to unfettered abortion access. Next up today, let's turn to a matter of the courts. A coalition of organizations and individuals has filed a lawsuit alleging that a California-assisted suicide law violates the U.S. Constitution and federal law. If the lawsuit is successful, Assisted suicide laws throughout the entire United States could be toppled, and many lives could be saved. On April 25th, the plaintiffs filed suit in federal court in the Central District of California. The lawsuit contends that California's End-of-Life Option Act violates equal protection and substantive due process guarantees contained in the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. 
It also claims that the statute is illegal under the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Rehabilitation Act. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of the United Spinal Association, not dead yet, communities actively living independent and free, the Institute for Patients' Rights, and two individual plaintiffs. According to the lawsuit, the End-of-Life Option Act steers people with terminal disabilities away from necessary mental health care, medical care, and disability supports, and towards death by suicide under the guise of mercy and dignity in dying. Individual plaintiff Ingrid Tischer argues that the law really does create two classes of people. One side gets suicide prevention, one side gets a life-ending prescription, and that is discriminatory. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms applauds the filing of this lawsuit. Whether through legislation or through credible litigation, it is our prayer that assisted suicide will become a thing of the past in the United States. Last year, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, making it possible for policymakers to protect unborn babies. Wouldn't it be amazing if the court protected the disabled and those facing serious illness by throwing out a discriminatory assisted suicide law? And now turning to Congress. On April 20th, the U.S. House of Representatives passed H.R. 734, the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act. This act would make it unlawful for any federally funded school or college to allow biological males to participate in team sports that are designated for women or girls. For purposes of this legislation, a person's sex would be determined based on reproductive biology and genetics at birth. However, the Protect Women and Girls Sports Act would not bar males from practicing or training with women or girls sports teams, so long as male participation did not deprive females of any sports opportunities or benefits. The legislation, which is supported by multiple Christian organizations, would also provide for a study of the adverse effects upon women and girls that would result from male participation in women's or girls' sports. The Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act passed the House by a party-line vote of 219 to 203. All present Republicans voted for the bill, and all present Democrats voted against it. Each member of New York's congressional delegation took part in the vote, except Representative Dan Goldman, a Manhattan Democrat. The bill has no chance of passing the Democrat-controlled Senate in the near term, and President Joe Biden, whose administration recently proposed a pro-transgender federal regulation relating to opposite-sex sports participation, has announced that he would veto the legislation if it reached his desk. Nevertheless, the House passage of the bill strikes an important blow in the struggle for gender sanity. In passing the bill, House Republican leadership followed through on a promise made last year in its commitment to America. Representative Greg Stubbe, a Republican from Florida's 17th Congressional District and the lead sponsor of the Protection of Women and Girls Sports Act, commented, For thousands of years in human history, we have recognized as a species that there are women and there are men who are obviously biologically different. Yet over the last several years, there has been a perversion in our culture by the enemy, and the left has completely embraced the lie. Furthermore, Representative Stubbe asserted that the left is not only encouraging transgender individuals to invade women's sports, but they celebrate as women are knocked off podiums and shunned to the sidelines. Nothing fair about that. New York's own Representative Claudia Tenney, a Canandaigua Republican, added, Across the country, the Biden administration is allowing, even encouraging, biological men to participate in women's sports. 
this is fundamentally unfair and diminishes equal opportunities for women in athletics, which we fought for decades to achieve. In speaking about the legislation, many Democrats have made misleading claims. President Biden accused congressional Republicans of discriminating against children. Other Democrats have described the bill as a form of bullying, as an effort to score political points by scapegoating transgender children, and as a creepy measure that could lead school administrators to inspect students' genitalia. All of these ridiculous things we've been accused of are not in this bill, said Representative Virginia Fox, a North Carolina Republican, and the chairwoman of the House Committee on Education and Workforce. This bill does not discriminate against anyone. It does not exhibit any hate toward anyone. What it does is prohibit federal funding to any institutions that permit a person whose sex is male to participate in an athletic program or activity that's designated for women or girls. Representative Fox is correct. The Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act would not prevent anyone from playing team sports. It would merely require boys and men to play on teams with other males. Opponents of the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act have a problem. Their position is incoherent. It is unlikely that any member of Congress would support a bill to make all sports programs at schools and colleges unisex. Such a proposal would be unfair to women and girls. Regardless of whether they identify as transgender, postpubescent males are larger, stronger, and faster than females. Because of this biological reality, obliterating all sex distinctions in team sports would be an extraordinarily controversial move. By opposing the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act, however, House Democrats are conceding that it is acceptable for male athletes to compete against female athletes in team sports in certain circumstances. Lawmakers who take this position should be asked how they reconcile this inconsistency and how they justify this unfairness. Now, looking at another federal issue, there's this. Ever since the 1970s, the Pro-Life Hyde Amendment has been included annually in federal spending bills. Named for the late Senator Henry Hyde, the Hyde Amendment is a budget rider that bars the use of federal Medicaid funds for abortion, except in cases of rape, incest, or endangerment to the life of the mother. Similar budget riders protect against the use of other federal funds for elective abortions. While President Joe Biden supported the Hyde Amendment during his tenure as a U.S. Senator, he flip-flopped on the issue during his 2020 presidential campaign. Since taking office, the president's budget proposals have omitted the amendment. Thankfully, congressional Republicans have used their leverage in the budget process to maintain the Hyde Amendment. According to the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, President Biden's budget proposal for the 2024 fiscal year includes a whopping 79% funding increase for family planning programs conducted by abortion providers. It also contains abortion-related funding for the Department of Veterans Affairs and for international aid programs. As the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission explains, the House and Senate Appropriations Committees will begin the appropriations processes, which includes a hearing to discuss budget requests and writing and marking up the 12 appropriations bills that fund the federal government. Congress will have the opportunity to make significant changes, and negotiations will be fierce as lawmakers debate what will be included in the final package. According to SBA List, the Hyde Amendment has saved the lives of more than 2 million innocent children. 
This year, New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms is counting on the members of New York's congressional delegation to stand strong for the Hyde Amendment and for the proposition that American tax dollars should never be used to take a baby's life. Please visit our Legislative Action Center at albanyupdate.com to write to your member of Congress today and ask him or her to protect the letter and the spirit of the Hyde Amendment in this year's federal budget process. And finally today, New Yorkers Family Research Foundation and New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms are pleased to invite our brothers and sisters in Christ to Vision 2023, this year's Legislative Day event. Vision 2023 has been scheduled for Tuesday, May 23rd at the Empire State Plaza Convention Center. New Yorkers Family Research Foundation exists to educate, encourage, and equip Christians for effective participation in government. Legislative Day is our organization's largest event of the year. Legislative Day provides attendees with inspiring speakers on a range of topics, as well as timely updates on New York government. At Vision 2023, New Yorkers Family Research Foundation and New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms will welcome author and executive Craig DeRoche of Family Policy Alliance, Urban Outreach Ministers Mike and Julia Peace of Bethel Express, and Coach Joe Kennedy. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Vision 2023 will be our first in-person legislative day since 2019. You don't want to miss it. Registration for Vision 2023 is now open. New Yorkers are encouraged to visit albanyupdate.com and sign up today. We look forward to seeing you in Albany on Tuesday, May 23rd. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate. Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.